This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. Um, she's kind of been having some abdominal pain in the past couple months. I know I haven't had abdominal tear. 
and uh, which is whatever that means. So, you know, when I prayed for God to give me a rich stomach, this was not what I had in mind. So be specific when you pray. Um, so, the doctor, I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, you don't need to have surgery. That's the good news. He said, but you just need to rest. <laughs> Funny. So, cool, God. Um, maybe me lie down with your pastors. Uh, and so I'm like, so what, what can I do? He's like, well, you shouldn't, you know, do like kind of like squats or anything like kind of heavy lifting. And I'm like, so like moving? He's like, yeah, don't move. I'm like, oh, I'm moving on Saturday. He's like, okay. Um, so thank the Lord. Uh, some some guys and girls from church came and helped us move. And I actually had this moment. I was loading up my bike, the last thing on the truck, um, just like stuffed full to the brim. And I stepped back with, with the bike. And literally placed my foot when I thought I was on the ground. There's nothing there, so I started falling off the truck, okay, um, like just, just fully, just like, I'm like, I'm just gonna eat this so hard right now. And um, John Hall, who goes to this church, I don't, I don't know if he's here or not. Um, just, and I don't know how he did this, what kind of workouts he's doing, but literally caught me and laid me down. <laughs> I was like. And, and there's like four or five guys standing around watching this, and all of them like just look around and like shot up, like how did you do that? And John's face like I don't know, like how that happened. So we just concluded either like John's like you know one of those like, crazy like superheroes is hiding his powers, or angels were involved, or both. Um, but needless to say, we're done moving. Now I get to start my healing tomorrow. So hopefully that will go. Go well, but again, I just think it's so like, wow, what I do really not letting me get away from this. Like, this is a time to rest. Um, and so tonight, we're going to be kind of taking a more interesting look because last week we talked about Genesis, right? At the very beginning of creation, there's no laws, there's no scripture, there's just a God and His and Adam and Eve and His people, and they are, uh, and in this moment, their very first day of existence is rest. We just talked about sound as a gift. Well, tonight, the next time we see Sabbath come up in Scripture is when the people of God, the Israelites, who started out as a very small nation, really a family, they started growing and growing, and then found themselves in Egypt, and ended up staying in Egypt, and they went from being there peaceably to being actually uh, forced to stay there as slaves as they grew in numbers and they were more afraid of them. And so they were ended up being in Egypt for over 400 years. I mean, think about that. Like, the, the United States has not been around. The Declaration of Independence was not signed that long ago. I mean, think about how deep our cultural identity is as the United States. 400 years, when all you know, and your parents do, and your grandparents do, <coughs> all you have known is oppression and slavery. And in that, they're crying out because through their oral tradition, they've heard about this God. They don't have a name for him. They've heard about this God who promised these people a, a land, a promised land. And through this, they begin to cry out, like, are you real? Where are you, God? And God hears their cry and sends them this deliverer named Moses, this reluctant deliverer. Well, Moses has this incredible story where he goes back and forth with Pharaoh, reveals God, Yahweh's mighty power, crosses the Red Sea, and starts them on their journey to their promised land. And as they're going, this people that have only known slavery realize they have no cover. 
government, they have no laws, they have no leader, and they've just become a nation with a theocracy. God is their king, and God begins to do what every government does. It begins to give them a constitution, it begins to give them laws, and this is where we find the Ten Commandments. This is how you are to live as God's people. And as this is happening, he gives them this command that we just read, you are to Remember, that's the word very important. That's their command. You have to remember this Hebrew word, zikar. Remember the Sabbath. Remember to rest. And we look at that like, man, that seems legalistic. But remember, he's speaking to a nation that's only known slavery, only known working, just back-breaking labor seven days a week for their entire life, and they meet their new king, their God, and he says, remember to rest. You have to rest. You have to stop. And this is where we get this tension because you would think that the people would be like, finally! It's been about time! This is not how they respond to Sabbath. And this is where we're going to find ourselves in the story. And the reason why we're going to be studying about Israel's relationship with the Sabbath is because we are Israel. When you read Israel in Scripture, when you read the Old Testament, it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, they're struggling. No, no. Israel is, is a character type for who we are. Isn't that funny? We've been given the Sabbath rest too, yet we don't know what to do with it either. And so we're going to look at Israel's story and the unique stuff, and we're going to look at our own story and see, what are we, what are we missing? So three things that I just want to kind of lay before you that we're talking about. So number one, Sabbath helps us remember who He is, but He being God. Sabbath helps us, reminds us who God is. When we remember, when we zikar the Sabbath, it reminds us of who God is. Number two, when we, when we Sabbath, it helps us remember who we are. Who am I? That can come only in the unique practice of Sabbath. And lastly, Sabbath actually helps us remember who others are as well. So we've been looking at these three different elements we find in Israel's uh, kind of uh, coronation as a, as a nation, as they become uh, God's people, and they leave slavery into the promised land, and how God shapes them. So, number one, Sabbath helps us remember who he is. So if you guys have your Bible, turn over a couple books over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We start in verse 12. And if you notice... This is a retelling of the Ten Commandments. This is at the end of Moses' life. He's kind of recapping the law that's been written down. And he, and he, he writes down the commandment a little bit different. He doesn't say remember the Sabbath. He says observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord our God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. In verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So as he's giving them this command, reminding them of this command, he says, remember who you were. Remember how God found you. 
And I love the word. Remember that it was the Lord your God who brought you out, which is, is implying you did not rescue yourself. When we Sabbath, it is a statement to our soul and those around us that we are not God. And He is. He is the one who has brought us out of slavery and into new life. But it is not us. It is not our own doing. Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Texas, says it like this. Sabbath exists to remind us of the power and presence of God and to woo us away from self-reliance. I love that. To woo us away from self-reliance and into dependence on God's power and presence. And he's speaking to his people and all they've known, all they've known is their own strength. All they've known is the power of Pharaoh. And God brings them out, and as he does it, he shows them two things. That he is more powerful than they can ever imagine, and he is more gracious than they ever could have dreamt. This is what Sabbath does. It reminds us both of God's power and his grace. Um, so, and he, and he has to do that, but I would argue, if you don't stop and rest, you will not have an accurate view of God's power and grace. So my, my son is two and a half years old, and he's growing in strength all the time. And, uh, and, and also not just in like physically, but in his will, like strength of will. Like he just wants to do what he wants to do. And where this happens every single day of my life, pray for me, is when we get into the car, and he wants to get himself into his own car seat. And so we get in the car, and I know it's coming, guys, and I, it kind of like stresses me out. So Jen's like, Jen or I think he was doing it. And normally it's me because I, I'm literally, I have to be physically strong enough to get him to his car. So we go in there, we begin, this, we begin the dialogue. I'm like, every single day, eventually I will break him. I said, Augustine, start to get in your car seat. I do it, dada. Okay. Okay, you can go in your car seat. I says, so, okay. And then I'll go and put it in the back of the van. I'm like, no, no. I said, get in your car seat. Okay, Dad, no, I get it. And so I go and pick him up. I like, no, no, I do it, I do it. I'm like, okay, and he goes. And he pretends to get in his car seat and then like jumps up to the driver's seat. And I'm just, right? Totally cool. Not impatient at all. <laughs> and depending on what my calendar says, it is really depending on how many times I'm going to give him to figure this thing out. And, so, and he's doing better. You know, just to give him a better bit of dice. He's learning, he's kind of getting better. For the most part, he ends up like this. I reach my limit, it's time to go, and I say, obviously, this is your last chance. Get in your car seat, or I will make you get in your car seat. And he goes, no, I get in my car seat. So I'm like, okay. So I pick him up, and here it comes, right? Like the wrestling match of the century. And so I'm like pinning him down, and he's like doing this weird, like, jujitsu move on me. It's like, no, he literally yells out baby power. Like, as a baby, he goes, and kid has to say, baby power! <laughs> what? Where did that go from? Baby power is like flexing every muscle that he is, and I, I'm taking everything I have like, to push his, his legs into the car seat and click him in. And we get that, and he's like flailing, and he's like, no, I do it. I'm like, I gave him a chance. And I'm like, trying to raise up the two year old. As I'm doing this, he just comes like, no, baby power. And I click it in, and I'm like, out of breath. And I get and I shut the door and he's screaming at me. I don't even turn around look at him like it's right. Just walk away from me. <laughs> don't you forget. 
power. I got dad strength. You know about that? So, every day, every day of my life, I entered into this wrestling match with my son over his car seat. And I was doing that this weekend in the midst of studying this message. And I was reminded that, that Sabbath is when we stop wrestling. Sabbath is when we stop trying to convince God we are stronger than we are. And we are reminded that He is stronger than us. And we are release that. Okay, God, you can do more when I rest than when I do everything in my best strength. <laughs> it's how powerful you are. Not only are you powerful, but you're gracious. Like when I, when I, when I pin my son in my car seat, I'm using physical force, but I'm not hurting my son. <laughs> Trying to. <laughs> I love my son. And I'm actually doing it for his benefit. Because I don't want him to get injured. Right? And the, the power and the grace as a father is just this picture of God saying, no, no, no. You have to stop. You have to remember who I am. The second thing the Sabbath helps us remember is who we are. It helps us remember who God is, right? His power and his strength. It also helps us remember who we are. So listen to this. Turn back to Exodus chapter 16. This is the very first time we see Sabbath mentioned um, after, the, after the garden. The very first time. Now listen to where it comes in the story. I love this. So they get into the desert, right? They've left Egypt, they cross over the sea, and they're, and they're in a hot desert. What's the very first thing they, they start complaining about? Water, right? And so they're like, where's, where's water? They're complaining, and Moses talks to God, and he strikes a rock, water comes up, wait, they have water. They're fine for a couple hours. And then they realize, we have no food. And so they start complaining about food, and so God does another miracle, and all of a sudden they wake up one morning, and there is this bread-like substance on the ground, and they call it manna, which is the Hebrew word for what is it, literally. And so they, they start to gather this, and they bake it, and they boil it, and that becomes their food. And every morning, they have food every morning, and, and, you know, and they have water that comes with them. And so um, the basic human needs, and that's the basic human needs are provided. Do you know the, the very next thing that God gives the people of Israel? Rest. Water, food, rest. <coughs> For God, this is not a negotiable issue. This is at the very core of what it means to be human, is when we rest. So Exodus 16, starting verse 21, says, Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. Let's talk about manna. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord's commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath for the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Now listen to this. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found None. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? 
Bear in mind, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. I just, I love this imagery because God brings Israel out of Egypt, but now he has to bring Egypt out of Israel. Right? He has to change how they think because he's, he, this is your first day off in years. And what do they do? They go back to work. Because overworking is not a sign of freedom, but of slavery. And you might not have a, a past of being enslaved to an Egyptian regime, but I guarantee you have your own masters that you bow down to with your counter. And so they find themselves going out and they try to look and there's nothing there. Sound familiar? working and worth working and nothing is happening. I can't seem to find enough time in the day. And so this would be pastoral, this is what I'd like to bring to you. I, again, I'm not speaking that God is trying to remind us of the past life we are free from in the physical sense of slavery, but I do believe that there is an oppressive force upon our generation, upon the church, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but I believe two things that are actively attacking our spiritual health are hurry and technology. Both of which are not bad things if done in the proper way. Hurry, speed, performance are great things. Technology can be a gift. But I believe both of these things have been so consumed and welcomed into our lives that they now own us certain level. Let me explain. Um, let me explain how. So, uh, just, just a quick story before I dive into some, some points. My, um, my daughter Zoe, she's 10 years old, our oldest. Uh, I remember when she was born, I had this incredible fear come over me. Like, oh my gosh, I have a daughter. And there are boys out there like me. <laughs> and I just was like, dear God, help her be like Jen. You know, <laughs> Jen didn't date anyone until she's like a senior in college. Isn't that not the dream? For like every now and like, yes, God, that's what I want. So, so when she's 10 years old and she's getting like taller and more beautiful, and I'm just like, this is not good. This is not good. I don't have a gun. Like, this is, this is a problem. And, um, but this year's God's grace sh shone upon my family when she got really interested in science. <laughs> Guys, she skips Monday lunch to go to a science elective class where they do experiments. And I'm like, there's a God in heaven. He loves me. She's like, Dad, there's like no girls in there. There's like, you know, a bunch of guys. And, and um, if the British do cool experiments, she's like, I think I'm going to join band. I'm like, good, join band. <laughs> starting to come up with these inventions, and she's like, Dad, she's like, Dad, I know my first real invention is. I'm like, what's you? I'm like, what? She's like, I'm going to invent a cell phone battery that never dies. And I was like, that's actually a brilliant idea. And she's like, how are you going to do that? And she like, has this like, paper, she's like, well, I think if batteries are kind of like, 
maybe it's like a U shape, but we can make them like in a circle shape. Maybe they can like just never stop going in, like you know, like a ten-year-old break. He's like coming up with it. I'm like, I'm like, I'm encouraging. This is this is brilliant. Like what? I'm like, where did you come up with this idea? And she's like, well, I always see how mad your mom get when your phones die. <laughs> So, you are investing your 10-year-old imaginative self into solving the world problem of us not having our phones more. That's the cue she's picked up from us. And I was, and I was actually kind of disturbed, and she obviously didn't know, like, Kurt, like, you're brilliant, like, keep going, you know, you know keep going, Peter. But for me, I stopped and like, my, my daughter views the world problem she finds herself needing to solve is we need more phone. Mom and dad are upset when they don't have their phone. And man, it's just a gut check, right? It's like, oh. And, and I, was, I, was, I, found, I came across two, a couple of great lectures this week that were really provocative for me. One was by John Mark Comer, and he's talking about the evolution of time. And he's talked about the invention of the clock. He said the original clock in the 6th century was invented by monks, and for hundreds of years they're the only ones who used clocks, and they used it for fixed hour prayer. And um, around 1300s, 1367 I think, in Cologne, Germany, the very first clock, public clock, was erected, and hence uh, was the introduction of artificial time. And so they began to tell people this is when time is. Because before that point, everyone just used uh, the sun and the moon and seasons to tell us what time it is. And this is the first time I said this. And then it kind of took another turn in the 1800s when Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. This is the first time in human history that you could go to bed or wake up whenever you wanted based on the clock you have been given, not the sun that was rising and setting. And then it begins to take another turn in the 1900s when the Industrial Revolution begins to peak, and all of these time-saving devices are introduced, like the car, and the train, and the plane, and the mail service, and grocery stores, and all of a sudden things that take you weeks and months take you days, things that used to take you an hour would take you a minute, and then it begins to progress as technology is introduced into our lives, and you think about 2007, when everything turns. Right, when the iPhone was introduced, when Facebook and Twitter went public as companies, and our technological era, as we know it, was birthed. And I can't help but wonder how this progress of our understanding of time has actually seeped into our understanding of God. And before, when you would pray for something, you would wait for months to see if your harvest would come in. Now if God doesn't answer your prayer in two weeks, you think that he's not hurt you. We see in the Old Testament God promising something to Abraham and Sarah and then waiting 25 years and it's like they don't even blink an eye. But we have such a warped view of time, such a controlled, choked out view of time that somehow that has made God turn out to be cruel or some sort of broken bending machine we can't get to work for. God is screaming to us, not the Israelites, the 2018 followers of Jesus of Nazareth, stop! Just stop! Don't hurry! 
through your life and miss how good God is and how human you are and how that is a beautiful reality. I was listening to a podcast by Simon Sinek, who's kind of this leadership guru, and he's talking about technology. He's talking about this new world of technology has kind of taken over. This generation and, and psychologists are having a field of trying to figure out what are the implications here. And one of the things that they have discovered across the board is that every time we get a text message or a like, it releases a little bit of dopamine in our brain. And as the dopamine is released, uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it feels good, it has an addictive quality to it. This is the same chemical that's released with alcohol, drugs, and sex, uh, with gambling. And what we have found is when those things are introduced, like that dopamine is introduced to young people, um, before, in their adolescence, or especially their prepubescent, is that they become much more stronger, much more likely to become addicted to them. So most alcoholics started drinking when they were teenagers. Most people were addicted to gambling, had some sort of history with that kind of risk and adrenaline when they were younger. And we have now given technology these dopamine uh, dispensers without limits to people younger and younger and younger. I mean, Zoe is the only fifth grader in her class that does not own a cell phone. And you, and you just, you have to sit back and you have to think, we have never had the ability to do more with the time we have, and we have never felt more short of time. This is what John Marcomer says, our problem is time, but the solution is not more time. Dallas Willard is um, an amazing theologian, one of my favorite authors. He was the head of the philosophy department at USC. He was interviewed by Relevant Magazine about technology and Sabbath and this practice, which will hear a lot about silence and solitude, this idea of just stopping, being quiet. And he was interviewed, and I just wanted to read you an excerpt from his interview that I thought was really interesting. Uh, it's a little long, but stick with me because it's really important. He says, you have to think in terms of radical disciplines that will return them out of this world of distraction they're living in and help them find the center. And those are solitude and silence. You have to take yourself out of the place of running your world. And there is nothing that I know that can do that other than the practice of lengthy solitude and silence. That will allow you to begin to understand what Sabbath means. But most people can't approach Sabbath because they're so revved up and distracted by so many things that they couldn't even begin to think about it. Once you begin to experience solitude and silence, you discover that you actually have a soul and that there is a God. Then you can begin to practice Sabbath and will be able to re-enter community. You can't have community without Sabbath. You know, psychology today um, has come up that there's actually something called hurry sickness. It's quoted saying, hurry sickness is a condition in which a person feels chronically short on time and so tends to perform every task faster and get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. President. The danger in our fast-paced society is not only that we have forgotten the power and the grace of God, the problem is we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten that we are human with limits, and that is a gift. 
We have forgotten that we were made to rely on God. And if we cannot stop for a moment to realize that, then we will lose ourselves. A.J. Swoboda says, For Jews, forgetting the Sabbath was akin to forgetting one's entire identity. A Jew forgetting the Sabbath was like an Israelite who was raised by Pharaoh. While Christians are going to enter the Sabbath in a unique way, listen to this, to remember the Sabbath is to remember who we are. Children born of grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Remember who we are. Remember who we are. Last thing I want to touch on is Sabbath helps us remember who others are. If we look at Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11 again, this is the very first verse we read tonight. Listen to the wording, it's pretty interesting. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall not labor and do all your work, but the seventh day of the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, listen, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Nobody. Not even visitors. This is for everyone. Everyone is to stop. And I just think about how Sabbath is not just a gift that you're supposed to internalize. It is something that is to be shared. And every single one of you guys has the ability to help give Sabbath. So in my world, I can go and I can ask Jen, how can I help you rest? So can, I, can, you, can you take the kids for a few hours and I can just go to a coffee shop? Absolutely. Coworker, hey, can I take that shift for you? It seems like you really need some time off. I mean, this is something that we are not only supposed to experience ourselves, it's something that we are supposed to give. This is for everyone. It even goes, so this is for your animals. I mean, give your hamster a break, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's like a puppy here tonight. Sleeping still? Sleeping? <laughs> That's a cute start. I'm so distracted now. Um, and this idea that everything rests. Do you, you know it actually goes as far to actually the land itself should stop? Listen to what it says in Leviticus 25, 1-7. I'm sure you've all memorized all of Leviticus. It says, The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest. A Sabbath to the Lord. This is huge because this is an agrarian society. You don't live unless you plant your own food. What an audacious claim. This isn't just you take a day off. Your fields take a day off for an entire year. Because that's how big God wants to be viewed. But think about this. If you're a farmer, that also means you get an entire year to pass. This is really the first introduction of a sabbatical, like an extended period of rest. And then he goes on to say, whatever grows up in it, let it grow. Like, don't, don't try and just, like, you know, use a couple seeds just in case something wants to pop up and feed my family. No, no. It's whatever grows up, grows up. And so this is this pervasive principle throughout all of it. 
By the way, I've seen this too. I got to work really closely with an organization called Power Purpose for a number of years. And this organization will go in, and they're an environmental organization that works with the rural poor throughout the world. And what they have found is 70% of the poor in the world live on farms in rural areas. 70% of the poor. We think of like cities and slums. But no, 70% are mostly farms. And what they found is these towns and these people are impoverished because they have a lack of education on healthy practices with the soil. One of them being rest. You have to let soil rest or else rob of its nutrients. And if that's robbed of its nutrients, you're not going to produce crops. It's not going to make you money for your family. And so what will happen is if there's no rest for the soil, there's no good fruit, they'll actually start cutting down the trees to sell for fiber. It's called slash and burn. It's the quickest way to make money. And then after two years, they have no way to make any income at all because there's no trees, there's no healthy soil, there's been no rest. And all of a sudden, people have, men have to leave and migrate to go make money to send back home, and there's whole villages of women and children exposed for human trafficking. Do you see how Sabbath is not just a luxury? It's not a day off. This is a matter of life and death. We have to rest. And God, in his wisdom, and his love, and his knowledge, is screaming for his people, you have And I think it's as hard as it was for them as it is for us. We just don't know how to do it. And so there'd be these things that Jewish people would introduce to their children. One of some of my favorite. One is a the father, a Jewish father, would give his children a spoonful of honey. By the way, you can go get at the store. This is something that was a luxury. Would give his his son or daughter, an entire spoonful of honey every Sabbath because he wanted him to remember how sweet it was. The wife, every, every Friday night as the sun went down and Sabbath began, would light this, this candle. It says two flames on it, one for remembering, one for obedience, right? The two Sabbath commands. Um, one rabbi scholar talked about how they believe that this was actually uh, setting the mood for lovemaking uh, for the married couple. So here you have this culture that says only known work and, and essentially slave labor who says, I want you to stop. I want you to taste the goodness of God. I want you to regain relationship. I want you to have intimacy as a married couple. I want things to go back into order. So that you can remember I am God. You are humans other people need rest too. So this is what I want to do before we end. So last week you got a very simple um, application. I just asked you, find a day. Find a time. When can you Sabbath? Uh, tonight I'm going to ask, maybe because I, I, can, I can do four hours a week. Cool, start with that. Maybe some of you guys can do ten, or some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm going to have a full 24 hours. I think that's amazing. Wherever you are, start there. But I'm going to encourage you to help actually start to form that day tonight. So, um, there is, uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, has, I think, a really great list of just some practical things we can think through when it comes to practicing the Sabbath. Um, and he talks about inner practices and outer practices. So the inner practice, he says, have to be observed. If you do not practice the inner practices, then you, the outer practices don't matter. So the inner practices are liberation and trust. Remember, 
the command of Sabbath was given to a people who have only known slavery. And so the Sabbath reminds you you're free. When we rest, now we're not being reminded as we're free from Pharaoh. We are free from sin. Why he's, he's given us new life. So when we Sabbath, we remember the freedom. Right? It's for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. The second Sabbath in our practice is trust. When you're a farmer and you don't plant, it demands trust. When you're a programmer, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're self-employed, you take a day off, you are losing revenue in business, but in that you're trusting that God is your provider. So these two facts, liberation and trust. The outer facts, and I think these are just really good. Number one, take more time. So if you, if you budgeted four hours, do five. Five, if you do 12 hours, do, do 18. Like, get, you need time. You cannot Sabbath without Uh, next is have more balanced time. So the three things that I need to kind of tie into that. So have more balanced time. The first one is application. Application is the opposite of your vocation. So Rick Warren would say if you work with your hands, it's happening with your head. If you work with your head, it's happening with your hands. So uh, for me, I work a lot with, like, with my head. Right? Like, I'm studying, I'm meeting with people. I'm, uh, I'm always kind of up here. There's, there's little physical work that I have to do. So when I Sabbath, a lot of times for me is I go outside, I'll garden, I'll surf, I'll go on a walk. Uh, and sometimes it even sounds weird. I think I'm kind of I'll literally clean a room. I like to clean and just like this. I love Sabbath. <laughs> but for me, I'm like, there's something so satisfying for me to putting my hands to do something, start it, work hard, and see it finish. Good. I don't even see that one that and so, application. Uh, number two, contemplative. Um, what you're doing right here, this is a contemplative act. You are engaging your mind. You are worshiping the Lord. You are, you are choosing to say, okay, whether it's good reading scripture or whether that is silence and solitude, it would be contemplative, purposeful. You're not just binging the whole season of Friends and calling it Sabbath, right? You do that on Wednesdays. Um, so, uh, and the third thing is, inactive. So some of you guys who like Sabbath, I've got my plan every single hour of my Sabbath, and it's going to be awesome and be so, you know, and part is just stop. Don't plan anything. Your entire life is planned. And some of you guys don't plan at all. And God would just say, let's be intentional. Use your time wisely. Last few things. Be accountable for your Sabbath rest. So talk to someone, a friend, a coworker, a spouse, a leader, an open table host. Just say, hey, would you, I want to I want to be someone that practices rest and Sabbath in my life. Uh, next, inject Sabbath time into your work. This has been my week. The, my week has not given me a, a ton of time off. But I purposely choose to Sabbath every single day. Again, uh, a couple days ago I went to the park with my son and I just watched him play and drink good decaf almond milk ice latte from Lofty and I enjoyed the sun on my skin and I saw the ocean breeze and I just enjoyed God. And it didn't last all day. I just had, I had an hour on my hands but man, I encountered the rest of God. And so injecting Sabbath into your, even if you just, even if you have a devotional, you like to be in a drill before you go to your lunch break. And find God into those, those moments of rest. 
Then lastly, community. Uh, do it with someone. And this is maybe the hardest for me because Jen and I are so different. We Sabbath so different. And so oftentimes, how we win and how we Sabbath is easy. But choosing to Sabbath together. Again, maybe even your open tent was, hey, what if we all like, you know, shop for this window of time and we like try to, you know, intentionally get her. I don't know. But those are some things to jot down. Maybe take a couple of them. Maybe you're not trying to do everyone, everyone's all things this week, but you would actually say, you know, I'm going to engage Saturday in a unique way. And then well, I'm gonna invite you to come up. The last thing we're gonna to do tonight is Got you guys a present. Got some honey sticks. So, I thought that Jewish dads can do it. Church plan. So, as well as playing, we're not going to sing. We're not going to, you know, Just take a moment, that's just... 